Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, December 14th, 2023, the 1058th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you'll know that I have spent most of 2023 focused on illustrating the existence of the Uniparty and trying to expose the Uniparty right and showing the Uniparty right for who they really are. They are not the watchmen on the wall or in the tower. 
guarding us from this communist infiltration by the woke left. They are not the anti-woke crusaders saving us from these vicious Marxist ideologies. They are just the controlled opposition of the people who are pushing all that stuff overtly. They exist to make people who are too busy working or having families or going about their lives believe that there is someone out there with more power and more access who is doing everything they can to stop the advance of that Marxist ideology and the infiltration and the implementation of that global agenda. Because if all the working, busy people didn't think there was someone with power and access whose lives were devoted to defending them, well, then they might have to take some time out of their busy lives and start defending themselves. And at that point, they become a huge problem because then you have to begin catering to their needs or they just won't shut up and go away. The controlled opposition doesn't exist to stop the advance of the Marxist agenda. It exists to stop people who oppose the regime's ideology from actually raising their voices and actively opposing the regime. They are happy to pretend that they are on your side most of the time. Anytime what you believe helps them advance their cause, they are your ally. But it's not because you're pursuing the same goals. It's because their job is to market the agenda of the global regime to people with your sensibilities. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you are conservative in your views on sexuality or abortion. Maybe you believe in borders or fiscal responsibility. They're happy to figure out a compelling case about why the regime's agenda is right for you. They can figure out a series of stories that will at least communicate to you that even if you don't like them all that much and you know they're not really serious about looking out for you, the other side is actually much, much worse. In fact, it's the other side that's causing all your problems. And everybody is buddy-buddy. Everyone's an ally. Everyone is on your team until you actually want to oppose the regime's agenda. And in those moments, you will see these people, your buddies, your allies, lined up on the side of the regime. Sometimes this is very overt, and they brag about being bipartisan or working with the other side. Or they will get together with the other side and say, we have to trust an even higher authority. We have to trust the experts. We have to trust the science. We have a common cause here. We need to defend our institutions. We need to defend our democracy. We need to defend the brave Ukrainians against Putin's very deadly invasion. Wait, what? That's not even American. That's what they do in the really big moments. We need to get everybody onto the same page. It doesn't matter if you disagree about everything else. This is so important, and there's only one right decision, and the only way we're going to succeed in this very scary situation is if we all get together. Now, those instances are easy to spot, but if you believe that these people really are your allies, then you are convinced by their case, and you think, well, these people are the ones who are thinking about these issues quite a lot. They must know what they're talking about, and they're on my side, so maybe they're right. Maybe this is one of those issues where I have to just think about other people and think about what these experts are saying, and, you know, I really don't agree with this, but 
I guess these guys are probably right. And so if this is what we have to do, this is what we have to do. Okay, I support it. Now, once you understand the uniparty dynamic, it's pretty easy to see those instances when they arise and you stop accepting the television's interpretation of a moderate Republican working in a bipartisan way on an issue that really does affect the lives of all the American people. You stop buying that excuse and you just simply see the uniparty working to push forward an agenda that the American people quite clearly oppose. You might remember Texas Senator John Cornyn's embarrassing speech in the Senate last year when he was convincing Americans that it was actually the patriotic thing to do to continue chipping away at the Second Amendment. And of course, you've listened to a great number of Republicans over the last seven or eight years oppose virtually everything Donald Trump ever tried to do, except, of course, when it was already aligned with their interests. And on any issue of great importance, they always get to the point of alignment. They agreed, no matter what else they said during the period, they all agreed that the very deadly pandemic was real and very deadly. They agreed that the numbers were real and should be analyzed and should be the basis for any decisions that are made. It's just going to be trust the experts, trust the science, better safe than sorry, until you bring us numbers that say we're wrong. Many of them accepted lockdowns and masks. They all helped cover up stolen elections. They went along with the insurrection story. They went along with funding Ukraine. They're, of course, hook, line and sinker on the Israel thing. And you can go on down the list. If an issue gets to be important enough, then they and their controlled opposition on the uniparty left have to work together to make sure that the regime gets what it wants. These are the ones that are right in your face. As soon as you understand the uniparty, you realize this is just the uniparty pushing something through despite the American people clearly saying no. But then you've got a more subtle version. It's much harder to detect, and it's even possible that many times they don't know they're doing it. And I think one of the easiest places to see that is with all the woke stuff, and especially the woke stuff in colleges. And so I want to discuss a couple of examples of that dynamic today. And I want to try to make it clear what I'm talking about when I talk about controlled opposition. Because even though the position that the uniparty right has is easily seen to be the more right of the two positions presented on offer, it's not actually right. And it works in support of the false paradigm, which pushes the implementation of the global regime's agenda ever forward. And I'm going to try to draw this out and illustrate this in the wokeness versus anti-wokeness controlled opposition paradigm. I've said before, certainly on Badlands, maybe on this show, that I see anti-wokeness the same way I see anti-racist. It is just the same thing. It is the same obsession. There is no opposition there because both sides support the same false paradigm. So let's begin with the fake president and the fake first lady's Christmas celebration at the White House. Now, every year at the White House, the First Lady spearheads the effort to decorate and present the White House, the People's House, in a Christmas celebration that is now just, you know, a happy holiday celebration. 
And now that the fake first lady, the utterly classless mob wife, Jill Biden, has finished her project of decorating the White House, we were treated this morning to a song and dance number that was filmed throughout the fake White House. It is actually an incredible production because, of course, they flew all their Hollywood friends in for it. And it is amazing to me the scope and scale of the productions you are able to stage at the White House when there isn't a real president there actually using it. Now, there's no way I can do this video any sort of justice in an audio only version, but I at least want to give you some sense of what happened in this video. All right, so a sense of the music, you got a little tap dancing. They're working their way through various rooms in the White House, tapping their way around. The video starts out with what seems to visually be a black woman, but I wouldn't want to misgender her, in a tutu tap dancing down the hall and some strange characters in very ridiculous costumes come out to join her. And at the end of the hall, as she moves her way down to the main room, a light skinned black girl in a bright blue dress has her mouth wide open and her eyes just looking around as if she is on lots and lots of drugs or a child seeing Christmas for the first time. And of course, that's what they were going for. And the video continues on in this playful, childlike manner, which used to seem playful and childlike, but now just seems childish, childlike in a really creepy and disgusting way, because we're talking about a fake president whose own daughter in her diary said that he used to take inappropriate showers with her. The fake president who is on camera over the course of decades sniffing and molesting small children. A fake president who can't stop trying to flirt with preteen girls at live events where he is supposed to just be pretending to be president. Hey, Joe, stop flirting with children and focus on pretending to be president. It really is just gross. And Beyond being just gross, the entire video is just spectacularly decadent. Now, it is certainly woke and it is very, very diverse. And it is absolutely obnoxious that that thing has to be thrown in everyone's faces all the time. And I'm not talking about different races. I'm talking about having the political subject of race injected into absolutely everything in the most overt possible ways so that to not notice it means you are lying to yourself and those around you and to notice it makes you racist. They can't even produce a holiday video 
without rubbing your noses in their commie DEI agenda. And maybe I would be exaggerating if this wasn't the same fake White House that had a topless man with his tits out on the White House lawn last summer or the same fake White House that had a guy who might as well be Dylan Mulvaney's cousin pretending to be Jen Psaki's assistant in a skirt suit with long fingernails. The White House under this fake administration is basically just an Instagram content factory. But hey, the flip side view on that is we know all of this is a ridiculous show. We are in the midst of an information war. The goal is to win the hearts and minds of the American people. It might sound silly, but that is what is happening. And if it makes you feel strange to talk about it on an information war level, then think of it on an election level. You're still trying to win the hearts and minds of the American people. You're trying to show them things that you are doing that will make them side with you. But while we only care about trying to do that through figuring out what's true and communicating that, they have to be clever enough to figure out how to avoid what's true, convince everyone that the real truth is the opposite of what they think, and at the same time, push their broader agenda forward. So they are trying to hit every one of those priorities all the time, while all we're trying to do is figure out what's true and give people the reasons to believe it and the means by which they too can see it. Now, the video itself is over the top decadent. It looks like a massive production. It is not just decorations. It's the hiring of dancers. It's the choreography. It's the cinematography. It's the makeup. It's the costumes. It's the editing of the video. It's the direction. It is the entire thing. It is an over-the-top, unnecessary, decadent production during a Christmas season where Americans are shopping for Christmas presents and for day-to-day necessities like food and gas and finding many of those prices higher than they've ever been. Many people have had their lives profoundly negatively impacted specifically by the government over the last four years. And now they see a fake and illegitimate administration that has failed in every way imaginable with an over-the-top decadent Christmas display that looks like an old Navy commercial set in the Hunger Games. And the entire thing is well worthy of mocking. Some people are pretty upset about it. That might be going overboard. But mocking is totally warranted and justified. This ridiculousness should be pointed out. But then, of course, there are also the defenders. The defenders on the uniparty left will say that you are racist and triggered and no fun or whatever. And then we have some people on the uniparty right, like the occasional Megyn Kelly guest, Dave Marcus, who brands himself as a very serious intellectual and a slightly edgy, tasteful elite. He's the sort of person who reminds me of many people I knew in Hollywood. His entire personality is a brand and a curation. He decided to take the opposing view today and posed this question on X, formerly Twitter. Can anybody explain to me what exactly is bad or offensive about Jill Biden's Christmas video? It's weird to mock people who are wishing you a happy holiday. 
And to that, I responded, it's the over the top decadence in the faces of people whose lives have been destroyed by the regime for whom the illegitimate president serves as a puppet and nothing could be more obvious. And he responded that holiday celebrations are decadent. This decadence is appropriate because holiday celebrations are indeed decadent. And to that, I naturally responded. So let them eat cake it is. And I'm not sure what else could possibly be said about that. But think about the brand positioning here. And these people do think about this. I know it might not make sense if you've been awake for your whole life and you have never fully committed yourself to competition within the party of false decorum. But under those terms, and this is one of those cases, what he's doing is not only separating himself from his fellow standard issue uniparty right villagers, he is aligning in this one case where he has separated himself with his standard issue uniparty left villagers. All the wannabe elites on the uniparty left will approve of his separation from the uniparty right on this one. They will say, oh, look at that. What a tasteful fellow. I disagree with him about absolutely everything else, but at least he's able to show us that he has a deep appreciation for the arts and certainly cannot be racist or sexist. Oh, he really grinds my gears with all his edgy, conservative, uh, uh, liberty, uh, his slightly right of us views. But this time I have to say, he seems like a very tasteful elite, just like us. And therefore, we'll consider that he might be one of the good ones. And that is ideal branding. If you want to be seen as an edgy, tasteful elite, let them know that you don't agree with them about most things and won't be pushed around. But every now and then, you are right on board with them. And naturally, the wannabe elites on the uniparty left, they set the tone for culture visually and artistically and in an entertainment and music sense and in a cinematic sense. This is all uniparty left content and only very edgy, tasteful elite standard issue uniparty right villagers are able to see the good in it. This, of course, was also the guy who was saying that all of us were being very irresponsible by doubting Paul Pelosi hammer time and making fun of it. It was a very, very serious incident, according to the very serious intellectual and edgy, tasteful elite. Now, if you want to win in the party of false decorum, the way to do that is by serving or impressing those at a level of higher status. If you want to get pulled up to the next rung, you have to serve or impress someone on that rung. And so naturally, it is a good thing to be seen defending them, even in their decadence. Think about what it means to be a person who is not elite, but is still defending elite decadence, while those very same elites destroy the lives of normal people and you're also trying to be the guy who understands normal people. Just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's hard to see why these people don't do nearly as well on uncensored social media as they do at the intellectual kids table. 
Now, the decadence aspect is the answer to Dave Marcus's question. This is what people have a problem with, and they are expressing that problem in different ways because their attention is focused toward different things intentionally by the people rolling out this narrative and this agenda. And people who believe that the controlled opposition on the uniparty right are, in fact, our allies Well, they'll go ahead and agree with these people on the uniparty right, and they will operate within that paradigm. So what we're really mad about about this video is race or gender or drag queens or trans people. And immediately the public mind can lose an entire day arguing about things within that controlled opposition paradigm. The actual complaint is that this is about decadent elites rubbing their gross Marxist agenda in people's faces. All the concerns within the controlled opposition paradigm are secondary to that, even if they are valid. And I agree that they are valid. They are still secondary. Focusing on them is a mistake. It is a distraction from the real thing. And it actually is important that people understand the real thing so that we don't lose our entire lives arguing within this controlled opposition paradigm about race and gender. It's so stupid. And despite the stupidity of that, when it is pointed out, no, hey, the real problem here is the over the top in your face decadence from the people who are destroying the lives of millions and millions of people. The response is to defend the decadence. Well, then you would have to hope that there's nothing else really wrong with this. And of course, it turns out that there is. And that's the point. The point is to rub it in people's faces. The decadent elites are rubbing it in your face. And rather than understand that, we have to talk about race and gender. This is from Jeremy Carl on X, formerly Twitter. A thread on Dorrance Dance, the dance company that produced the Hunger Games vibe video that Jill Biden shared with the world. Did you think that this group was featured by chance? Dorrance has radical, anti-white, racist, anti-police policies. They feature petitions on their site to, among other things, defund the police, stop ICE from poisoning immigrants, and a variety of other far-left causes. Of course, they also support prison abolition, BLM, and the National Lawyers Guild whose members were so deeply aligned with the Communist Party during the Cold War that NLG was credibly accused of being a communist front group. Michelle Dorrance, Dorrance Dance's radical white founder, touts the, quote, never-ending struggle against systemic racism and white supremacy, end quote, discusses her, quote, passion for revolutionary thought, end quote, and how, quote, deeply embedded, White supremacy, racism, and colonialism is in our culture. What does this mean in practice? Well, the site prominently features a quote from Angela Davis, former Communist Party vice presidential nominee and longtime radical left-wing activist and academic. Oh, and Davis spent some time on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Turns out Davis was good buddies with the Soledad brothers who took control of a courtroom and killed Judge Harold Haley using weapons purchased by Davis just two days before. She was acquitted by a left-wing Bay Area jury and resumed her activist career. 
So keep in mind for the left, there are no coincidences. It's always about how they can, quote, radically transform the world, end quote. That's how the Biden regime celebrates Christmas. So again, it's all right there in your face. Now, perhaps the fake president, his administration and whoever in it is making decisions like this, if indeed anyone in the fake president's fake administration is making decisions on anything, then maybe they thought this was a bold move that forwards progress on race relations. Maybe they thought it was important to let young black boys and young black girls and young black transes know that they could feel people like them were truly represented by the fake president's fake administration. And maybe someday, if they really applied themselves, maybe they could be part of a woke dance troupe and be part of a White House Christmas video so long as we had another fake president in there who was really just a communist usurper. But even if they thought that this would push forward their political agenda, it also exposes more of what that political agenda is all about, and it exposes the way they actually do view the American people. As more of this happens, our job gets easier and easier because people realize, wait, something really is wrong with all of this. And we could take that as a win each and every time and just rack them up. Just keep marking down wins every day. Allow this stuff to just be continually exposed. But instead, we fall into the groove that we are used to within that controlled opposition paradigm. And we end up in these tickle fights with the controlled opposition on the uniparty left. We accept the terms as they are presented. The uniparty right says our position is this on this subject. And unless you don't want to be on the team anymore, that's your position too. And then the uniparty left says, hey team, this is our position on this issue. And unless you want to be off the team, this is your position too. Ready, set, tickle. And then all the fun and games begin on social media and you lose a whole day. Just tickle fighting away. And of course, you'll remember when the Uniparty right lost like four months tickle fighting over that creepy little dude on the Bud Light can. Now, I agree that it is gross and unfortunate to have that part of that agenda shoved right in our faces, especially in the form of that creepy little dude on the beer can. But we don't need to talk about it for four months. It doesn't need to be a regular subject on the podcast of every major influencer on quote unquote our side. In fact, it's preposterous to spend more than a couple of minutes on that creepy little dude on the Bud Light can. But Dave Rubin's still telling Bud Light jokes. This week, we had another round of hearing about how we needed to protest Bud Light still. And yeah, cool, man. I haven't had a Bud Light since then, and maybe I never will have one ever again, but we don't need to spend time talking about it because we're adults. I don't care what happened to the creepy little dude on the Bud Light can. Now, I've been talking for the last few weeks or so, maybe a couple of months now, about how we are seeing a new cancel culture emerge on the right. And it is every bit the cancel culture we saw on the left down to the detail and the strategy. The agenda for war in the Middle East, 
the justification of anything and everything that the state of Israel decides to do that must be pushed forward. Any opposition to that agenda needs to be marginalized. It needs to be pushed to the fringes. It needs to be silenced. And the way to do that is by claiming that anything that disrupts that agenda is by definition anti-Semitic. We talked the other day about how in Congress they are trying to equate anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. Now that doesn't even make sense. You have to ignore what Zionism is and intentionally misdefine what Semitic is. And to forward that agenda, they used the ADL and they used media matters and they tried to get censorship installed on Twitter to deal with the problem of quote unquote anti-Semitism as they defined it. They got corporate advertisers to pull their advertising from X, formerly Twitter, by manipulating the system to place the ads of those advertisers next to upsetting and quote unquote extreme content. And when the censorship efforts on Twitter didn't work, they tried to make the censorship more of a cultural thing. People would have to self-censor or be subject to punishment. And we see once again an incentive and punishment structure arising within the party of false decorum. If you say the things we don't want you to say, we are going to call you anti-Semitic and we are going to come after your job and your reputation and your livelihood. It was absolutely dead wrong when people were doing it on the basis of race and on the basis of sex and on the basis of false accusations during Me Too. It's wrong to do it on the basis of Islamophobia or transphobia or election denial or science denial or vaccine denial. For years, we heard members of the quote-unquote conservative establishment, the uniparty right on social media, telling us that they had a principled position on free speech and on cancel culture. Cancel culture was bad no matter what. Free speech was necessary no matter what. And it turns out that they were just lying that whole time because that's not actually what we see right now. Not at all. And again, I'm not defending any particular speech or any position on the Israel-Palestine thing. I've talked about it extensively. I think all sides are lying. I think the idea that this is about terrorism, much less a paragliding go-kart attack, is preposterous. I think that the global regime wants to maintain its grip on that region. They want war and they want societies around the world to be further divided against themselves. And exactly that process is what we see occurring in America. And finally, the uniparty right are showing themselves to be bad actors acting in bad faith in that situation and in the rest of them. We have observed this cancel culture bubbling up over the past few weeks, over the past few months. But even prior to that, we saw many of these same people using the same tactics to go after Trump supporters. The New York Times yesterday put out a big piece on the Dilly meme team. And they are hilarious, by the way. They're extremely pro-Trump, anti-DeSantis, anti-anybody, just pro-Trump. And they make the absolute best meme content imaginable. The New York Times did a big piece on them, tried to out them as this paid operation. And one of the big claims about how bad they were is that they say bad things about women. Nikki Haley and Jenna Ellis and Christina Pushaw. How could they? 
They're making fun of these women. It's sexist. They're mean. And yeah, of course, they also make fun of men nonstop. And because more men are prominent in politics, they invariably spend more time making fun of men. But yes, they're mean. Got to protect the women. We get it, New York Times. Except the thing is, all of the Ron DeSantis supporters on the Uniparty right, they make all the same claims against the Dilly meme team. All of the guys want to white knight for all of the women on Team Meatball. And so they go after Trump supporters in all the same cancel culture ways that the Uniparty left does. They actually convinced the Babylon Bee over the summer to cancel one of their own, Gavin Wax, who is part of the New York Young Republicans Club, the group Donald Trump spoke before last weekend at Cipriani. So we've seen the cancel culture bubbling up. And over the last couple of weeks, it has been an absolute obsession when it comes to these university presidents, particularly Claudine Gay from Harvard. Now, I haven't talked about this because I was hoping not to waste any time on it, but it's been everywhere the last couple of days. And the Uniparty right can't focus on, let's say, the fact that no one believes Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. They can't go around saying that. So they need something to talk about and a basis on which to make normal people think they're on the same side. So this has been it. Let's cancel the Harvard professor who didn't say the right things about my anti-Semitism. This is the headline in CNN Business on Saturday, December 9th. Harvard president apologizes for her disastrous testimony at anti-Semitism hearing. Words matter. I am sorry. Harvard University President Claudine Gay said to the Harvard Crimson on Thursday, words matter. The apology came just days after Gay, the president of the University of Pennsylvania and the president of MIT, testified at a House committee hearing focused on anti-Semitism on campus to widespread criticism that they have not done enough to ensure the safety of Jewish students and others at their respective schools. So it is all about safety. Physical safety, that's what we're being told. But we're also being told that words are violence. And we're being told that now by the Uniparty right, all of whom specifically said that words can never constitute violence. And they were right back then. Oh, the halcyon days of thinking that they were actually conservative when they were really just the controlled opposition of the people they pretend to hate. Harvard, UPenn, and MIT have all come under fire along with other U.S. academic institutions, over perceived inaction against anti-Semitism on their campuses, especially in the wake of the October 7th Hamas terror attack on Israel and the subsequent war. At UPenn, for example, President Liz McGill has been under pressure to resign for weeks as major donors and others say they have lost confidence in her ability to lead the school. And I think I may have mentioned on a show last week that a major donor to the University of Pennsylvania, a man named Ross Stevens pulled his $100 million donation to the college. He is co-founder of Stone Ridge Asset Management, and he had, according to Bloomberg, quote, pledged a stake in the investment firm to the Ivy League University to fund the Stevens Center for Innovation in Finance. A hundred million dollars to set up a finance school at the University of Pennsylvania with his name on it. And now he's 
taking that money back because they're not doing enough to fight anti-Semitism. A hundred million dollars is being drained from the endowment, supposedly, of the University of Pennsylvania because they're not doing enough about anti-Semitism. That is what we are told to believe, that people make hundred million dollar decisions based on whether or not a college is doing enough to combat anti-Semitism. And this, of course, is being presented as a very principled stand from this wealthy asset manager. But of course, we also know that these colleges and universities have these massive multi-million, often multi-billion dollar endowments, and that these schools have been critical players in the advancement of the global regime's agenda. There are universities doing biomedical research in coordination with the Wuhan lab in China. There are professors actually selling our intellectual property, the product of our innovation to aspects of the global regime in foreign countries. Obviously, they played a crucial role in selling the COVID hoax. The university system is intimately ingrained in the global regime's agenda and the system that pushes that agenda forward. And that's before we even talk about the indoctrination and the effect on the children who attend the universities. They are essentially just factories to produce and take advantage of nepotism while taking people's money to indoctrinate their children on the promise that their children will eventually be better off and not just in a lifetime of debt forced to serve for the advancement of that regime who has now indoctrinated them. The New York Times published this article yesterday, a new playbook for college donors, power politics. They write there is a new class of donors who are often in the prime of their career, having amassed fortunes in finance or tech, who are more outspoken about politics and willing to wage war on social media to affect change. Their pressure campaigns have resembled winner-take-all Wall Street investment strategies, threatening to pull their money from schools that have become increasingly beholden to their largest donors. In the past, influential donors would certainly have threatened to withhold donations over issues like a losing football team or a controversial professor. But big donors increasingly are engaging with expectations of a wider role in university life, according to academics, former college presidents, and people involved in philanthropy. And you know, people involved in philanthropy are the best people in the entire world. Of course, the very, very best people in the entire world are all philanthropists like Bill Gates and George Soros. That's why it's okay that they own you. It's because they're the best already. Last year, private donations to U.S. colleges and universities totaled $59.5 billion, up from about $14.8 billion during the 1980-81 school year, adjusting for inflation according to the Council for Advancement and Support of Education, which tracks donations. And in 2022, more than 80% of the donations came from 1% of the donors. What is it these people are buying? Back to the CNN piece. Harvard is also among 14 colleges under investigation by the Department of Education for discrimination involving shared ancestry since the October attacks. Discrimination involving shared ancestry. That is where we are now. During Tuesday's House hearing, Gay, along with the UPenn and MIT presidents, 
did not explicitly say that calling for genocide of Jews would necessarily violate their code of conduct on bullying or harassment. Instead, they explained it would depend on the circumstances and conduct. Gay told the Harvard student paper that she regretted what she said. When words amplify distress and pain, I don't know how you could feel anything but regret, she said to the Crimson. I got caught up in what had become at that point an extended combative exchange about policies and procedures. What I should have had the presence of mind to do in that moment was return to my guiding truth, which is that calls for violence against our Jewish community, threats to our Jewish students, have no place at Harvard and will never go unchallenged. Substantively, I failed to convey what is my truth, she added. She affirmed that she was very sad if there was any possibility that she might have hurt the feelings of anyone. Now, part of the problem in parsing that answer is the way the question is set up. Are you okay with calls for Jewish genocide? Well, the answer is quite clearly no, but there's a conflation going on there and it's focused around the river to the sea thing being identified with calls for Jewish genocide. Now, there is certainly reason to believe that those are one and the same, but they're not one and the same for everyone. And to pretend they are and that no one should ever be allowed to say it because it is definitely calling for the genocide of Jews. Well, that's no different than pretending that when someone says the word thug, that has racial connotations against black people. And the left used that prolifically against Donald Trump and against MAGA supporters and even against people on the uniparty right. And now we see the same sort of thing. This word or this phrase means this one thing, among other things. But we're going to pretend it only means this one thing and then make sure that anyone who says it has their lives destroyed. Now, I don't have to defend Palestine. I don't have to defend Hamas. I don't have to defend that statement to know what is being done here and to understand that it is no different. And I'm certainly not defending Claudine Gay, who seems like a total incompetent and average brain dead Marxist who seems to have gotten to where she is based on her ability to apply the race agenda to everything. And naturally, the calls for her to resign have been relentless for about 10 days. Now, Claudine Gay has been in her position for about a year. In fact, this article in the New York Times is dated December 15th, 2022. Harvard names a new president, an insider and historic first. Harvard University announced on Thursday that its new president would be Claudine Gay, the dean of Harvard's Faculty of Arts and Sciences. She will be the first black leader of Harvard and the second woman to hold the position, succeeding Lawrence S. Bacow. Dr. Gay will take office in July 2023, just as the university faces a pivotal Supreme Court decision that may force it to revise its longstanding admissions processes, which have been criticized for considering factors that favor white and wealthy candidates while also using affirmative action to bolster enrollment by black and Hispanic students. As a proponent of increased diversity in hiring, as well as an expert on minority representation and political participation in government, Dr. Gay may be ideally suited to the task, supporters said. Skipping down. 
Dr. Gay, 52, has been a professor of government and of African and African-American studies at Harvard since 2006. Her scholarship has explored how the election of minority office holders affects citizens' perception of government, cooperation between minority groups, and how housing mobility programs affect political participation for the poor, according to the university. So she seems absolutely hook, line, and sinker, a dyed-in-the-wool communist. The president-elect, how ridiculous, grew up partly in Saudi Arabia, where her father worked for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. She is a 1988 graduate of Phillips Exeter Academy, where she served as a trustee. Before joining Harvard's faculty in 2006, Dr. Gay was an assistant professor and associate professor of political science at Stanford University, where she earned a bachelor's degree in economics. She earned her doctorate from Harvard in 1998. And oh, how about this part? The selection of Dr. Gay was the product of a large-scale search that generated more than 600 nominations and included more than 20 committee meetings, Ms. Pritzker said. And that is Penny Pritzker, who is one of the billionaire heirs of the Pritzker family. She also served as the Secretary of Commerce in the Obama administration in the second term. And since September of this year, she has been the U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine's economic recovery. The Pritzker family were the owners of Hyatt Hotels. And of course, her brother, J.B. Pritzker, is the governor of Illinois. The Wikipedia page for the Pritzker family notes that the Pritzker family is of Jewish descent and based in Chicago, Illinois. The founder of the American Pritzker family, Yaakov Pritzker, was the manager of a sugar factory in Kiev governorate on the territory of modern Ukraine. At first, he lived with his family in the village of Veliki Pritsky, then in Kiev. At the end of the 19th century, escaping from Jewish pogroms in the Russian Empire, he emigrated to the USA with his family and then became one of the biggest hotel owners ever. And congratulations to them. What with being from that Ukrainian homeland and all. Just a nice Jewish family, definitely not Prussian, definitely not Kazarian. So Penny Pritzker was the chairwoman of the presidential search committee and upon hiring Claudine Gay said, Claudine is a remarkable leader who is profoundly devoted to sustaining and enhancing Harvard's academic excellence. So here we are a year later, a prominent Jewish billionaire heir was the president of the search committee that brought Claudine Gay to Harvard. And here we are with Claudine Gay being unable to defend the Jewish students as their safety is compromised by certain words and phrases. And of course, by the time Gay actually assumed her position, the U.S. Supreme Court indeed ruled that race can no longer be considered as a factor in university admissions. So as I said, the calls for her to resign grew louder over the course of the week. And on Tuesday, Harvard released a statement that Claudine Gay would not be Stepping down from her position, they said, our extensive deliberations affirm our confidence that President Gay is the right leader to help our community heal and to address the very serious societal issues we are facing. 
That was a statement from the highest governing board of Harvard. It's called the Harvard Corporation. So basically, a corporation that runs the university is not going to get rid of the president, at least not for her anti-Semitism. And naturally, people caught in the controlled opposition paradigm, people on the uniparty right are very upset at this. They think they are being treated unfairly. It is hypocritical of these people who would go and cancel others to not then cancel people for the same reasons when it is a different group targeted by the mean words. They think if it's okay, according to academia, to cancel people for being an anti-black racist or a homophobe or an Islamophobe, well, then surely cancellation is warranted for someone who is anti-Semitic or who won't condemn anti-Semitism hard enough in the exact way they're asking for her to condemn it, because that's what she's really in trouble for. No one is even accusing her of being anti-Semitic. They're just saying she hasn't taken a hard enough stance against anti-Semitism. And so that warrants her being removed from her job. And again, I don't care about Claudine Gay. I don't want her to have this job, but I also don't want her to be fired from this job because I don't care about Claudine Gay. And we'll get back to all that in a second, but let's just make sure we have the last layer of this very intriguing story. This is from Business Insider yesterday. Harvard president Claudine Gay is cleared of plagiarism accusations, but will have to correct past articles for citation issues. Harvard's governing board announced Tuesday it determined that the school's embattled president did not engage in research misconduct. Gay was accused of plagiarizing after the conservative website, the Washington Free Beacon, published a story highlighting multiple instances where Gay's writing in four academic articles matched up with other academic articles, some of which were written by her former advisors. In some instances, no citation was inserted or quotation marks were not used. The article they're referencing in the Washington Free Beacon is by Aaron Sabarium, December 11th, 2023. This is definitely plagiarism. Harvard University President Claudine Gay copied entire paragraphs from others' academic work and claimed them as her own. In four papers published between 1993 and 2017, including her doctoral dissertation, Gay, a political scientist, paraphrased or quoted nearly 20 authors, including two of her colleagues in Harvard University's Department of Government, without proper attribution, according to a Washington Free Beacon analysis. Other examples of possible plagiarism, all from Gay's dissertation, were publicized Sunday by the Manhattan Institute's Christopher Rufo and Carl Stack's Chris Brunette. Now, it is worth noting that Rufo and Brunette are both 100% DeSantis people. When they are not getting upset about racisms on the left, they are cheering on Ron DeSantis as the hero of anti-wokeness and anti-DEI work. They say things like, Ron DeSantis is the only person with a proven record of battling the wokes. Really? If that's true, how come most of the wokes don't really know who Ron DeSantis is or give two shits about him? And how come they all think that Donald Trump is the devil incarnate? How come Donald Trump was the one responsible for exposing all of this 
to the world and actually saying what it was while Ron DeSantis has the occasional PR stunt that indicates wokeness just doesn't happen in Florida. In fact, he says Florida is where wokeness goes to die, but there's still woke stuff happening in Florida. And even if he had somehow cleared it all out, which he hasn't, he is still fully in support of the global regime that is implementing that agenda across the country. Unless Rig D. Meatball is, in fact, a pro-Trump red team op to expose all of the rhinos and their donors, then he is directly involved in trying to help that regime remove its biggest threat in Donald Trump and MAGA. That is explicitly what his campaign is devoted to at this point. So the idea that he is actually taking on that regime and that he is going to destroy that regime once he wins in an election they rig, well, all of that is preposterous. So when you see people who are supporters of his coordinating with his team to push pro-DeSantis messaging while being champions of anti-wokeness, you got to wonder what their anti-wokeness is really about. And Christopher Rufo published on X, formerly Twitter, a tweet where he said, plagiarism is okay if you're a blank. The suggestion being to fill in that blank with your words. And naturally, people would answer things like liberal college professor or liberal black woman or liberal falling right into the controlled opposition dynamic that Rufo is constantly highlighting. He is a champion of the anti-wokeness movement, which pretends to battle against the wokeness movement, but really does nothing more than keep all of those issues front and center all the time to avoid the much bigger problems. Daily Wire, as I often say, are the world's biggest producers of trans content. Well, Chris Rufo is one of the world's leading academics on anti-wokeness, which is just woke content. The correct answer to his little fill-in-the-blank problem is any prominent supporter of the regime and its agenda. Joe Biden is an old white man who was mentored in politics for three decades by a Klansman. And he is a serial plagiarist. And it is okay, not only to everyone on the uniparty left who openly celebrated his election, but to all those people on the uniparty right who said it was better to deal with one term of Joe Biden than have Donald Trump back in office. Why did they say that? Were they looking out for the good of the country? No, of course not. They were looking out for their position within the party of false decorum. They thought the country would be fine. They can handle that woke stuff. We just can't deal with another four years of having to defend Donald Trump against all these claims that our friends in our controlled opposition, the uniparty left, are making. They didn't want to defend Donald Trump to their peers on the uniparty left. That is why they supported Joe Biden's legitimacy in 2020 and since, and why they're supporting someone like Ron DeSantis in order to take out Donald Trump so they never have to address that issue. They said 
that their reputation, their social standing was more important than the future of the country. There is no denying that there's no way to get around it. Ask them if they believe that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes and they will be unable to answer that question. Why are they unable to answer it? Is it because they don't know the answer? No, that's not the reason. Of course, they know the answer. They knew the answer in 2020. They just ignore it and they deny it. And they think because they have cover from the media and from elite society and from the power structure, they can get away with denying it. They didn't care that Joe Biden was a plagiarist when they were supporting his legitimacy to help the regime get rid of Donald Trump and preserve their reputations, which is what they've been doing for three years since. They didn't care about Joe Biden's plagiarism. The proper answer to put in that blank is any prominent member or supporter of the uniparty regime or the party of false decorum. But that's not the conversation. The conversation focuses on Claudine Gay's identity characteristics and on the identity characteristics of those people who are supposed to be protected from the mean words, the people Claudine Gay failed to protect. The narrative has become she won't protect Jewish students from mean words and she gets away with it even as a plagiarist because she is a liberal black woman. And where at that point is the animosity focused from people who do not approve of what Claudine Gay has done, which are probably small in number compared to the number of people who will just be led by the nose by any prominent influencer on the Uniparty right. And of course, people like Chris Rufo are prominent influencers on the Uniparty right. The guy used to go on Tucker Carlson and he's like Ron DeSantis's DEI advisor. But the animosity for those people will be focused on liberal black woman. All of that fits neatly into the controlled opposition paradigm. People will be angry at one another within that conversation. They will get absolutely nowhere and they will waste all sorts of time doing it rather than focusing on what the real issue is. Plagiarism is okay if you are a prominent member of the Uniparty or the party of false decorum. But let's get back to the cancel culture aspect. People are calling for her firing and they want a scalp. And if you say, why are you doing this? They'll say, oh, you don't know how to fight hard like the Democrats. To which I would respond, you are the Democrats. You are the wokes compared to us. And trust me, we are far better at this than you are. Just look at what has happened to Ron DeSantis. Why would we follow your lead on how to combat the left when for all intents and purposes, you are the left? I mean, legitimately, the neocon establishment is a contemporary version of Trotsky and neoconservatism dominates the modern GOP establishment, which these people serve. They legitimately are on the left, but they have to get rid of her and they have to take a serious stand against plagiarism. Why? Because if they don't get rid of her and they don't take this serious stand against plagiarism and things like this keep happening, well, then everybody might get the sense that Ivy League degrees and degrees from other elite colleges and universities might not be worth anything anymore. They might not actually prove that the people who have them are smart at all. 
because it seems like all these universities are doing is indoctrinating kids into really damaging and false belief systems. It's wasting people's time and money indoctrinating kids into subjects that don't actually exist in the real world. What value is there, by the way, in taking our best and brightest, our children with the most ability and access and resources, and teaching them how to do climate science or virology or epidemiology or LGBTQ studies? or environmental racism. There's no value in that at all, but they get the exact same degree as Harvard-educated political scientists and lawyers and doctors. And we are told that lawyers and doctors have very difficult and very important jobs, but is that always true? And it turns out that no, it's not always true. A great many lawyers only end up exploiting our legal system and our constitution to make sure that this infiltration of the global regime's apparatus and agenda and legal system is able to withstand all challenges. How many lawyers have worked on making sure that Joe Biden's legitimacy could not be challenged in courts? Are those lawyers providing a valuable service? Was their legal education that brought them to that point through probably quite a bit of nepotism and potentially a good deal of ass kissing? corruption and compromise, something good and honorable? Does it show them to be geniuses? What does that Harvard degree mean now? And of course, it doesn't really mean anything anymore, except to wannabe elites who are trying to succeed in the party of false decorum. And they have to make sure it keeps meaning something or else they are exposed as the rich kids and incompetents and ne'er-do-wells that have this piece of paper that say they're smart and a salary that says they're successful doing work that is nothing but destructive and has no inherent value whatsoever. And I forgot to mention the doctors who, of course, we saw to be little more than drug dealers throughout the pandemic. And those are the ones who weren't busy applying the advised medical protocol, despite the fact that it was killing people. So what is it these colleges are really doing? What are they doing with our best and brightest minds? Now, again, I don't care about Claudine Gay. I don't want her in that position. I don't want her fired from that position. I don't care. I'm not going to go to Harvard. And if I have children, I won't send them to Harvard. I do not care about the Harvard mythology. I do not care about Harvard's prestige. I do not value a Harvard degree when someone tells me they have one because I'm not a credentialist and I don't care about that. Harvard is meaningless to me. Harvard can disappear for all I care. I don't want Harvard to be improved because I don't think that Harvard is inherently valuable. And I don't think that about any other elite university. I don't think it about any university period because we don't need them for learning. And to the extent that people who go there are adults, we probably don't need them for socializing either. I went to an elite college. Some of it was a good experience. Then I dealt with college debt for over a decade. I'm sure it could have helped me find a job, but it didn't. I value some of the ideas I was exposed to, but I'm not going to pretend it would be the only way I could be exposed to those ideas. In fact, I may well have been better off just reading on my own. 
I was a philosophy major. I could have read all those books. I wouldn't have had a liberal professor telling me what all those books meant. And when you think about it that way, the whole professor thing doesn't sound all that great either. The point is we're supposed to read the words that someone wrote and figure out what those words mean. And if it's complicated or you have to go through it a couple of times or you have to reference other work to figure out what things mean, well, okay, but you don't need another person for that unless for whatever reason you are incentivized to adopt that person's interpretation and memorize enough facts about the subject to be able to repeat that person's interpretation back to them. And that's ultimately what college really is. Again, it's just an indoctrination. There might be different forms and different versions of the indoctrination, just like there are different forms and versions of media messaging all within the central narrative. It just matters whether or not it's inside or outside that bubble. And of course, everything in the university system is contained within that bubble, especially today. But this was also true a decade ago and two decades ago and five decades ago. It is a mistake to pretend it was ever otherwise. Obviously, the school system is one of the primary elements of infiltration for the Prussian regime. I mean, just the word kindergarten should tip you off. And of course, that's not good enough because now they want school to start at age three or age two. You have to have preschool. You have to have pre-K. So a child is handed off to the Prussian school system at age three or age four or age five, and they stay in the Prussian school system till age 23 or 24, or 25 or 26 or 27. So by the time you're 30, you've spent 20 or 30 years primarily under the influence of institutional Prussians. That's not a great idea. And what are we being told by those people who were told that they would be our next class of leaders? The people who were told that they would get to lead us, they would get to make the decisions. What are they telling us now? They're telling us that they need to remove university presidents and replace them with a university president of whom they approve. They want to keep the system in place. They want to keep it in place as is. They just want their person to represent authority rather than a representative of authority from the other side. The whole system is fine and must be protected. We just need someone who represents our individual tastes in the position of authority. And of course, that is exactly what they think about president as well. Donald Trump is not acceptable within the party of false decorum. So even though he is absolutely by far the best person to continue leading this country, he's not on the menu. You got to choose someone else. The proposed solution supports the wholly corrupted Prussian system. If there is some version of school or college that is good, fine. That's a separate conversation. This version of it is not good. And it's not necessary and it is broken beyond repair. And these universities now are essentially just fronts for financial pass throughs and hedge funds devoted to propelling the global regime forward. And while they do that, American families send them an absolutely absurd amount of money to indoctrinate the children of this country. It's absolute madness from the roots up. We don't need to cancel their university presidents and replace them with our people. 
We need to break out of the mental illness that has convinced us all that college is an absolute necessity in the first place. And again, I say this as someone who graduated cum laude from an elite college. There is nothing conservative about telling private organizations who should be running them and appealing to anti-discrimination laws and saying, well, they violated that law. They just can't be in that position anymore. Hey, hey, come on. Authority figures, they violated that law. Mom, mom, look, Claudine Gay is refusing to protect Jewish students from mean words. Mom, fire her. It's preposterous. It's childish. Why are we paying attention to anything these people say? They are not leaders. They're not conservatives. They are the uniparty right. They are the controlled opposition just there to tickle fight the uniparty left. That's it. Here's the conservative solution. Stop sending your kids there. Make sure that everyone you might ever support in politics is committed to ending federal funding of these universities, especially when they have these massive, massive endowments. And then stop pretending that these colleges actually produce better educated, better prepared workers for real jobs in our economy. We need to stop thinking of all of these things as these necessary parts of our society. Think about the total inversion here. We are dealing with people who believe that it is an absolute existential necessity to end coal mining despite the fact that we need it as an absolutely essential resource for energy production. They think we need to wipe out the entire industry in order to save the earth from the sun. And all those people can just go get other jobs. They can learn to code. You'll probably all remember that. They are absolutely committed to destroying entire industries that we absolutely need to solve a problem that doesn't exist. And we can't even imagine a world where an industry that we absolutely don't need that creates problems we otherwise wouldn't be dealing with would cease to exist. Are we really supposed to pretend that the only place innovation can happen is at colleges and universities? That is preposterous. Private industry is where innovation can happen the best. And I'm not even suggesting that we ban colleges. I'm not even suggesting that we boycott. I'm just saying, let's simply remove ourselves and our thinking from the common myth of the necessity of a college education. Take away their government funding because there's absolutely no reason that the government should be supporting it in any way and stop sending your kids there. It's not an attack in any way. It is just a full withdrawal of support, period. They create a bad and useless product that is clearly destructive for our country. Stop supporting it. But of course, that solution exists outside of the controlled opposition dynamic. This battle is not about fixing universities because they're not going to be fixed this way. You'll just replace one problem with another problem. They're not going to change the agenda. Whoever is in that position is going to push that agenda. That's what they're telling you with all that big money. They're literally saying, if you won't pursue the agenda we want, we'll find someone who will. They're not going to give up on it. But if we follow these leaders who have been chosen for us, by the way, 
We will continue to support the system and the controlled opposition dynamic that supports the system that both the uniparty right and uniparty left are happy to continue to promote. And this is the dynamic that we really need to understand. We know that that side is bad and lying. And so we look to the other side and think, oh, they've got it right. They know that the uniparty left is bad and lying. So they must have the solution, but they don't have the solution because they are bad and lying too. The right solution exists somewhere outside that controlled opposition dynamic. And you'll know when you found it, because first of all, it's extraordinarily simple and it rejects both sides of the controlled opposition dynamic. Until people figure that out, we're just going to be on this loop forever and everything will stay very, very gay. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, You can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree linktree.com slash I'm your moderator and I'll see you soon out on the range catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!